Welcome back, everybody. My name is David. I'm Zach. You're listening to Meats and Sweets, where two best friends come around, talk about meats, talk about sweets, and everything in between. How's your week? It's pretty good, man. Not too bad. You know, work's a little hectic. Almost time for Thanksgiving, Christmas, everything like that. So family's all coming into town pretty soon or thinking about coming into town. Don't even have all that solidified. So that's in and of itself just a (laughs) thing. What about you? How's your week? Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah, Uh, Still haven't figured out what I'm going to do for the holidays yet. Kind of uh, taking it day by day and then... Trying to keep it as low key as possible this year, so yeah. we'll figure it out whenever whenever the time comes. Hey, so low key's good. Low key's good. Yeah. <sighs> well, we did carnitas this week, or this time. Yeah. This episode is about carnitas. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, I made some carnitas for Kayla and myself. You had a little bit of them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just kind of wanted to talk about how, how I did that, what it all took, how long it took, everything like that, and. Yeah. Let's we'll hop into it. So. Before you dive into that, I just want yeah. to say they were delicious. <laughs> like you. they were yeah, no. very, very, very good. I was very happy to hear that because you actually had them a day after they were made. So mm-hmm. I made enough to where we could have multiple meals out of them, which was, it worked out great because we made breakfast tacos with them. We made tacos with them. We just had them plain, like very versatile meal. And in all honesty, really, really cheap, like in the grand scheme of things, because I think I got eight eight meals out of that and when i say eight i mean four so four meals for me four meals for my wife right so um but it was all in all it was super easy would definitely recommend it if you've got a smoker um or you know probably uh, braise them in the oven or something like that too yeah you definitely could it's definitely doable i just like the smoked flavor so but basically uh i went to heb got the meat and told Kayla, I was like, hey, we've never done carnitas before. We do pork tenderloins all the time. We do chicken all the time. We do, we've been doing briskets here lately pretty regularly, like small, small, small briskets. Like I'm talking like two pound briskets. Um, so I was like, let's do carnitas. I like tacos. You like tacos. Let's do this. So we found four pounds of meat for $8.50 or $9.50 is below $10. For four pounds of meat. It was, it was crazy. It was nuts. It blew my mind, to be honest with you. Because I was like, that's a lot of meat. For two people, that's a lot of meat. You know? Um, I found a recipe that I wanted to try. I found a marinade that I was going to marinate them overnight in. And that marinade basically was, you have two limes, cut them in half, squeeze them, and then you throw the limes in there. Take an orange, cut that in quarters or halves whichever you prefer i did quarters because i feel like it's easier to squeeze and squeeze that in there throw the leftovers in there as well you put one tablespoon of olive oil i did virgin olive oil um i put garlic salt and pepper all over the meat and then put the meat in there and i tried to i put them in a gallon size bag so I, I tried to get all of the air out of the bag first so that all the juices and everything could just kind of stew and i like shook it all up make sure all of it was coated left them in there in the fridge overnight right the next day pulled them out patted them dry you know and then i coated them in that voodoo rub 
that uh, it's called Holy Voodoo, and it's by Meat Church. Meat Church makes it. And so I listed all the ingredients so that if you want to make your own, you can. But basically, it's salt, sugar, brown sugar, paprika, garlic, jalapenos, onions, and then they have on there monosodium glutamate. MSG. Where are you going to find that in the store? I don't know. It's everywhere in the store. It's easy to get. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I don't make my own rubs yet. Yeah. MSG is really easy to find. It's good to know. I should probably stop eating that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But all those ingredients were all uh, uh, dehydrated. So it was like dehydrated garlic, dehydrated jalapeno, dehydrated onion, everything like that. I really, really like this rub. I do too. My favorite thing about it is that it's a little sweet up front, but then what... I really like the flavor of jalapeno, mm-hmm. and that one really it comes through very prevalent uh, or very heavily there, and it's it's you can really taste it, good. But it's not spicy. Yeah, you right? get the so taste of it. You get the taste of the jalapeno, and you get like the tickle of the heat, but there's no seeds in there, so it's not it's not spicy at all. So like for me, that's perfect because I love the jalapeno flavor. Um, I'm not a big spice person. I would even go as far to say as I'm a weenie when it comes to spicy foods, just naturally. But nonetheless, yeah, it's one of my favorite rubs to do with pork. Mm-hmm. I haven't tried it on chicken, um, and I haven't done it on beef yet. I'm not sure how the sugars would be on like those it, two meats. Just as fine. Yeah, it, probably, it probably would be delicious, but it's a really, really, really good pork rub so as far as the time and temperature goes so i i smoked these for about three hours at 250 degrees um they came in one pound chunks so it's four pounds of meat they came in one pound chunks and so i spread them around the smoker to where they could all get covered in smoke right um cooked them for about three hours and or until they reached the internal temperature of 165 pull them off at 165 and then I put them in a like the inch tall pan, you know, like what you would make a cake in. Um, put them in an inch tall pan, and I cut half a stick of butter into really thin slices, and I put all the slices around and on top of all that meat. Right. Once that's done, I put the temperature up to three fifty on the smoker. Put them back on. Um, I wrapped them in foil, like just the top, to keep all that steam and everything in there. Um, Because ideally what I want is I want them to be so tender and cooked by the time this is done that I can literally just pull them apart with my fingers. Um, And so I I left them on the smoker for another hour or until they reach the internal temperature of 203. Once it's at 203, I'm pulling them off. And whenever I'm pulling them off, I'm mixing all that butter in there with them. I want them to get coated, pull them off, everything like that. And then from there... You're pretty much done. And so at that point, you get to decide what you're going to make with them. What are you going to put them with? You know, whatever. Um, so like I said, I I shredded one of them really easy, like easily enough with my fingers, like after it had cooled down some, obviously. And then pulled them apart. If you want, you can throw some of that into a pan and just to crisp them up a little bit. I didn't think I needed to do that. They were still smoked enough to where they had some good texture. Um, but all in all, you know, I was for for less than ten dollars to get four meals out of that. I was yeah. super happy with it. 
Yeah, you gave me a small piece, and it was, I mean, like you said, it was the day after. Um, it wasn't super warm or whatever, but um, it was delicious. It was very tender, very mm. flavorful. Um, yeah, I think we just threw that in the microwave for like 30 seconds. Yeah. What was your favorite dish you made with it? Because you said you made different things. Breakfast tacos. Breakfast ta- I'm a sucker for a good breakfast taco. Um, and so what we ended up doing is we made some eggs, put some cheese on a tortilla, heated that up. Um, I, don't, I don't think I crisped them at all. Like for me personally, I don't. I didn't need that. But some people like that little bit of a crunch on there. But, you know, again, shredded it up into tiny pieces and then just drizzled it over the, the taco, you know, and then went to town. It was good. I love a good breakfast taco. And pork breakfast tacos are, that's hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been that would have been good to try. Maybe I'll have to give that one a go. Um, does your, because you have a Traeger, uh, does your Traeger have one of those super smoke settings on it? It has a smoke setting, mm-hmm. and basically it's just straight smoke, and it puts it at 205. Okay. But that's it. It doesn't have, like, a super smoke setting, mm-hmm. um, but it does have a smoke setting where, like, it's pumping out smoke, um, eh, like, every five minutes. What so. kind of pellets did you use? Hmm. On this one, it was a blend. It was, it's the Traeger Signature Blend. It was, uh, I think it's apple, maple hickory and then a little bit of mesquite in there it's just a blend of all four of those um but it turned out really good really nice color on it um texture was great tenderness was there which is surprising because you would think at pork at 203 degrees at the end of it that would be super tough i mean the outside you know is it's got that texture but I mean, you and I both know. I mean, it was tender. Mm-hmm. Even even just through the microwave, it was super tender. Um, 10 out of 10 would recommend. That was good. My next question. So yeah. I guess it all comes down to would you do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. For I mean, for the price, right? So it's yeah. just like the chicken. You can't beat the chicken for $10. You get so much food out of it, and it tastes delicious. Like, it's it's very difficult to beat. It's probably not the most healthy thing, especially, like, if you're putting the butter on there, but you don't have to do the butter portion. Yeah, you could pull them you off. At, you could, <laughs> yeah. It would be really good regardless, even if you just pulled them off at the three-hour mark, mm-hmm. right? It'd still be really good. I just don't think it would be as tender, soaking into that butter, letting all those juices, mm-hmm. you know, soak into it, everything like that. But definitely do the marinade. The mm-hmm. marinade, I think, made a big difference. Probably the acid from the orange and the limes helped tenderize yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. No, those are good. I was very, I wouldn't say surprised, um, but when you said you're making just like chunks of of carnitas pork, I'm yeah. like, I mean, sure, it's going to be good. Um, I was very impressed by it. Thank you. I thought it was yeah. delicious. Again, less than $10. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to beat. I feel like if you can get, if you can feed multiple people for less than $10 and it's good, Mm-hmm. You, you gotta you gotta do it why not i mean if you're working from home too and you want an easy oh, kind of yeah. quick da- uh, dinner night thing i did that during work because mm. i work from home now right so because i worked from home i literally started at 10 a.m uh i you started started cooking at 10 a.m not working at 8 a.m yes sorry <laughs> started cooking at 10 a.m pulled them off at one 
put them in that container, went and worked out for 30 minutes, came back. And by the time I came back, I still had 30 minutes on my lunch break. And I was like, okay, well, as soon as I, as soon as it's almost time for me to hit lunch, I'll pull them off. And I checked the temperature. They were at 203 before that, pulled them right off and just let them cool down in the kitchen, in the wrapped container. And it was, turned out great. Yeah, you should do that again soon. Oh, yeah. 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 We'll have to, have to have a taco night or something. Yeah. It'd be kind of a cool, like, uh, we could do, like, a Friendsgiving or something instead, oh, of, instead of turkey. Right. Which not a lot, some people don't like turkey, right? But uh, you can uh, cook a lot of food yeah. for with that stuff on, like, a Friendsgiving or something. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is, I think I feel like sometimes people get drawn up, like, it's Thanksgiving, it has to be a turkey. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be turkey. I do like turkey, but... I like yeah. turkey, too. But, like, there are some times where turkey's pretty dry, mm-hmm. right? And, like, if you don't have gravy... This is a conversation Kayla and I had recently. She's like, do you want to do turkey for Thanksgiving? And I was like, I mean, sure. But I don't, you know, I've never cooked that, but I will. Mm-hmm. You know? And she's like, well, we could just do something else. And I'm like, Fine by me. me. You know? Yeah. yeah like, because I'm a big proponent, like, if the gravy's off at, at Thanksgiving... I'm not eating turkey. When you say gravy's off, like not good gravy or yeah, just like not there. Not I, a very I, flavorful gravy, like mediocre, nasty, not nasty, but just like not flavorful enough. I think the, the, <laughs> it sounds super posh, but I feel like the great, <laughs> if the gravy's off, I'm not eating turkey. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's weird, but that's how I feel. Don't judge me for it. To each their own. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> So we can move on. Um, do you want to do my question first? Or you want to do yours first? Uh, I'll go first. Sweet. So uh, we were just watching some football uh, earlier. Uh, Texas Tech had a big win last night. Sixty-two yard field goal to win it. Yeah, it was, was awesome. That was nuts. Um, so you're a big football guy, and you have always been a big football guy. Mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts as to why some stud college football players superstars some even heisman winners and it doesn't translate to the nfl that's a great question i think it's it could be a number of things right so it could be the mental headspace it could be that they've relied so much on their talent that even though they're in college and they're one of the best in college when you get to the nfl it is a different ball game it's no longer you're the best on the team like everybody was the best on their team that is on your team and everybody else in that league was also the best on their team on their team. You know what I mean? So it's the, the talent level. There's no longer a, Oh, well maybe we have three NFL guys on our team. No, no. Everybody's an NFL guy on your team. So that's, I think one big reason. Um, The other thing is, is if you have a guy who was the best in high school, didn't have to work hard goes to college still a freak athlete he's he has to work harder but is just still naturally gifted you make that next jump this third jump right you can't rely just on your physical abilities anymore and if you do they're only going to last for a little while because your body starts to change you you get older you start getting injured you know, if you were if you were this power running back that you were just running everybody over because you were bigger, 
about the only person who's doing that right now is Derrick Henry. And the guy's a freak of nature, but like he's also a super hard worker. Yeah. Like he puts the time in. Like he's in the gym, he's killing it. So if you've never had that tenacity, if you've never had that chip on your shoulder, a lot of people talk about having a chip on their shoulder, and that makes so many people great. Like Tom Brady is a great example. Love him or hate him, you kind of have to respect him. Picked in the sixth round, overlooked, was told in Michigan that he would never start. I even thought it was later than the sixth round. It was. It might have. I thought it was the sixth. I could be wrong. It was either the sixth or the seventh. But he got he got picked up late, and I know he was like the 199th pick, which was the sixth round. Yeah. yeah. So, but being overlooked for so long. You know, I think as much as I, you know, disagree and and not a huge fan of him, Baker Mayfield has had a chip on his shoulder. Uh And I think that, yeah, (laughs) I think that's a big reason why he's been as successful as he's been so far. I don't think that he will, I don't think he's the, the guy that gets you to multiple Super Bowls, especially with how talented the Browns are right now. But because he's had a chip on his shoulder, He's been able to internalize that and transition that into harder work, grit, determination, overcoming these obstacles. Whereas if you have a guy who's never really had to overcome the adversity, as soon as he hits the adversity in the NFL, he hits a wall and he can't push past that. Let's pause there because I have a question that's kind of based around quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. a follow-up question. Okay. So nowadays you have players like... Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. very um, dynamic quarterbacks. Their their play style is a bit different than a pocket passer like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. Do you think back, I guess it's over a decade now, with like RG3 and Vince Young, where they were kind of like that in college, do you think the NFL back in the mid-2000s to, I think RG3 graduated in like, 2013 or something like that actually it was bef- way before then um wasn't way before then he was playing in college when we were in college oh okay it was like 2011 2012 okay you, you're around that era it's around that time okay do you just think that the nfl wasn't quite ready for the mobile dual action quarterbacks at that time i think that's part of it i also think the game is of football has changed in the last 10 years substantially it's a much more offensive-driven league, and I think that accuracy and mental game play for the quarterback position has played a significant role. And then as well as the physical portion of it, I think what you're going to see here is here in the next 10 years, the most athletic kids will start playing quarterback, and then they will hone their mental and 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 dexterity skills as far as you know getting the ball and throwing the ball in the right spots lamar jackson is a great point for that so lamar jackson is very similar to michael vick in his physical abilities to make plays and get out of plays he was not the best thrower when he came into the league but he is he is slowly getting better every single year he he's one of those people it's it's a unique person who takes criticism, understands it, realizes, oh, I, I do need to work on this. 
And he goes in the offseason and he busts his butt to get better at that. And you can see that. He's been in the league, I think, three, four years now, something like that. Um, every year he's gotten better at throwing the, throwing the football. His first year, not very good at throwing the football. His first year, kind of small. Everybody was like, he's, getting, he's not going to last long. He needs to put on muscle. Comes back, he's freaking jacked the next year. And his throwing is better. The throwing is going to take time because that's something that you have to. You have some natural throws of the football, and then you have some guys who just muscle it. If he can ever learn to put the touch on the ball and to throw it with accuracy, he's going to be in the league for a long time. The reason I don't think a Vince Young worked was kind of to what I said earlier. Vince Young was a freaking stud in college. He was the guy, right? That was when UT was huge. USC, the was USC huge. championship game. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, everybody watched that game, or at least in our generation, everybody was watching that. It was it was incredible. But he he gets to the NFL, and again, it's that mentality. You know, if if you've been given the world since day one, and you start hitting these walls and going up against these guys that are just as good as you. And they didn't play in your class. They didn't play against you in college. But dang, like their whole team is good. If you're not throwing with accuracy, you're making mistakes. That's why Drew Brees lasted so long is because his accuracy was so good. And he was such a mental player at the line of scrimmage that they were able to be a great team without with having some shortcomings, so to speak. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, back to your question, I think that position is changing. I think it's going more towards you have to have a 70% accuracy to 75% accuracy on, on average to be effective enough to stay in that position or to take your team far. Because the athletes are just getting better and better and better as more and more science comes out. So do you think it would be best if you're wanting to work really hard and get into the NFL? Obviously, it, let's say all the numbers line out or I guess um, show up. All right, you have that 70-75% accuracy. You have a cannon of an arm. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's better with where the league is going to be more of a pocket passer or to be able to scramble and be one of those kind of dual-type quarterbacks. I think it's more beneficial to be a dual-type quarterback. If you can have accuracy in the in the the smartness of you know being able to change the play at the line of scrimmage, as soon as that play breaks down, if you're a pocket guy, you can't you can't make a play with your legs. You're you're a sitting duck. So if it breaks down, and let's say you were wrong at this line of scrimmage that you you were like, oh, it's cover two. Let's say you're wrong about that and Blitz is coming. You can't get out of the way, right? But if you're a Lamar Jackson, if you're a Justin Herbert, someone, and you don't have to have Lamar Jackson speed or or uh, maneuverability, but you got to be able to move some. You can't be an Eli Manning uh, who, who can't move at all, a Peyton Manning who's a statue back there. That's awesome. And they were amazing. But that's where their mental game gave them an advantage. Right. Best pre-snap quarterback, yeah. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Tom Brady's still playing because, one, you can't hit the quarterback anymore. 
but also he's... That's another conversation. (laughs) Another time, right? (laughs) But, like, um, no, I, I, again, I think if you can move and you can throw with some decent accuracy and have some good pre-snap knowledge, you're going to do a lot more for your team than if you were just a statue and you just threw accurately. Mm -hmm. So it kind of seems like you need... It's like one of those triangles, right, where you can pick two but not have all three, right, right? where you can have the accuracy, mental game, and speed. And not saying these these mobile quarterbacks don't have that mental mental mm. aptitude of the game because they're, they, so they're in – well, not just – they're in the NFL, right? right? It's just not to the level of a Tom Brady or uh, a Peyton Manning right. back in the day right. where now it's – Okay, they have the arm and they have the accuracy and they have the speed to continue to make plays. When you look at Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's play style, it was they have some, the best arm in the league and then that mental fortitude and knowledge of the game mm-hmm. to to succeed. Yeah, yeah. And much. then if anybody gets all three of those, then they're going to be like the best quarterback in the league right. ever. But there's also there's also a caveat to that, right? So like if you have this guy who's, so used to, oh, the play's broken down. I have to make a play with my legs. You run into a whole different slew of issues with that. You can get hurt. You can fumble. Like, there's not, it's not without drawbacks to having that. Mm-hmm. And, and it comes down to the player of being able to say, hey, you know what? It's better if I just take the sack here instead mm-hmm. of doing this, you know? Yeah. But again, heat of the moment, when you're in the game, that's so difficult. And when the athlete in you comes out and the right. play, yeah. And, and you know that you can. I've mm-hmm. done this a thousand times, right? But let's just say you're a little bit slower that day. Dak Prescott, we talked about this earlier when we were watching the Dallas game, went for a run last year and broke his ankle. And it was a nasty break. Never been injured before. Super strong guy, super tough. Just snapped. He made that play a million times thousands of times maybe not a million thousands of times right that's a normal thing to do play broke down you know what let's pick up some yards and that's not his fault like anybody would have done the same thing because you just you don't know if that's ever going to happen obviously if you know you just i'll just take a sack Mm -hmm. i'd rather have a sack than a broken foot (laughs) you know but like but you don't know that and so there is always that risk of getting injured if you can make those plays you you put yourself at a bigger risk for something like that to happen it makes sense so i mean there it's not without its drawbacks for sure it is a lot more fun to watch oh my god just from a from yeah. the entertainment standpoint it's it's incredible and yeah. you see these you see these guys and you're like for sure he's gonna get sacked he's 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage oh my gosh i can't believe he's doing that and then for some somehow he comes out of it unscathed yeah. He either makes the play, makes the throw, or he picks up the first down with his legs. Yeah. I'm just like like that one throw, I think it was last season or maybe two seasons ago of Patrick Mahomes, where he like he dives forward and he is parallel with the ground. Yeah. As he's throwing the ball. Incredible. And he gets the completed pass and like it's just pretty awesome to think watch. Think about the the body awareness, being aware of like what you can do how to get your body in that position. Like, I think he's one of the best at doing that. He is so in tune with his body. He's like, I can do this. I can't do this. But a lot of that um, comes down, I think, to his previous days as a baseball player. Like a lot of his sidearm throws, that's an infield thrower. 
that's a throw that an in like a middle infielder would make mm-hmm. you know third baseman grabbing a bunt and tossing it over the first it's crazy but it translates yeah i guess just when now that i asked the question you did a lot of explaining it's kind of interesting to kind of think about so like with the with the mobile quarterbacks you can sometimes have those very elusive plays and those almost acrobatic type of mm-hmm. plays and that's what they get more or less praised for like look at that move that was mm-hmm. awesome and then the pocket passers have the ability to just drop dimes 40 50 60 right. yards down the down the field mm-hmm. and that in and of itself is incredible um They're so it's two different styles of play two totally different styles and and they they both can work mm-hmm. and they both have some drawbacks right so it's again it boils down to, I guess, how your team is set up. What right. do you need in that moment? Right. Yeah. If your offensive line is terrible, I don't want a pocket guy. Mm-hmm. I want someone who can move. If my offensive line is tip top and I my maybe my receivers aren't as nice, I want the pocket guy because as soon as there's an opening and my receiver's there, I know that that pass is going to be dime, there. Yeah. Right. Vice versa, you know, if my receivers are not that great. Maybe you can extend that play a little bit, but if your pass is a little bit behind your receiver, mm-hmm. potential pick, mm-hmm. right? So it's just, you know, it's a toss-up. Like, yeah. it, it's super exciting to watch, and, and I'm enjoying it because I enjoy both styles of those plays. The pocket quarterback, very much a more methodical way of playing, whereas the elusive quarterback is very dynamic and, oh my gosh, I can't believe what just happened, you know? And you get these highlight reels of people missing mm-hmm. right super fun to watch but it's just two different very two very 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 different dynamics so yeah really good question thanks i i, I, I knew you i knew you'd enjoy it I appreciate every time anytime you get david to open up about football it's <laughs> uh funny. it's you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to say anything for the next 15 <laughs> 20 minutes what's funny is like i would say i'm the least football fanatic out of my like buddies from high school like those two know what they're talking about. I very much don't, mm-hmm. but I feel like I do. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's a weird, uh, it's a weird dynamic. But um, I have a question for you. Okay, I wrote it down on my phone. Let me pull that out because I don't fully remember. Because I had <laughs> had a good question that specifically pertained to you. So, oh, okay, yeah, curious. Watch out. So you love watching F one. Yes. Right. You, you this is it. just going to turn into a sports podcast, everybody. Like, everything is about... Sports, <laughs> sports, yeah. You know, we'll just... Maybe we'll change it. Anyways, you know? go on, go on. <laughs> so you love watching F1. You love those races. You watched the race earlier today. Today is Sunday, um, November the 14th when we're recording this, and you watched the F1 race. You said it was a great race. It was an awesome race. Awesome yeah, one, race. Of the, one of the better races I've seen in a while. Yeah. So... And I know that recently you went to F1 here in Austin. Yeah. You got to experience that whole thing. Yeah. Right? That was awesome. And I know that you really, really enjoyed that, that you loved it, and and that was a, a great experience. So I have a, a two-part question. Okay. I'll ask my first part. What was the coolest part of that experience that you had? Being there live at the event. Yes. What was the What was the best part about that experience? Because it's, it's yeah. a three-day event, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I have two answers to this one. And um, one of them, I'll, I'll start with this first one. Um, 
So I had been to a race here in Austin before several years ago in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only for race day. So only for Sunday. Uh, and that was one of my first real experiences around formula one. And that's really what got me hooked yeah. in it. Uh, the, uh, the weather was terrible. It was cold. It was raining. I had one umbrella, no seats. Like it was <laughs> mud everywhere. It was miserable, but I was smiling the whole time. It yeah. was so cool. I, I just, I really like cars and racing altogether. Um, so that's what got me hooked in F1, but I'd only been to race day. The su- race day is always on Sunday, but I've only been to race day. What made this one special was, I was there all three days. So the event is three days long, as you mentioned. Practice on Friday, practice and qualifying on Saturday, race on Sunday. And you can really feel the hype and the anticipation build by each day. Mm-hmm. I was just so excited to be out there on Friday. I had taken the day off work to just really enjoy this. And it was just an awesome experience because there were multiple other races throughout the weekend. But, um, being there on Friday was awesome. The anticipation for Saturday with the last practice session and then qualifying, which qualifying is the only time where you see those cars going a hundred percent. And it was awesome. It was loud. It was, it was a good qualifying session, but then that brings me to Sunday. So I had both those days behind me and just kind of like processing how the entire event was and how excited I was. And then Sunday when the race comes, I was like, a little kid i was giddy i was like yeah. the the rate we're an hour from the race like it's it's happening people like was your were you like hand shaking at, at all? A, a few minutes before i was uh, i don't know <laughs> if i was being a little uh, extravagant about it but yeah i was just i was so giddy and excited not just because i was there but because i had the build-up of the entire weekend right. for the race day so i think that's right. a part of it another part of it that i think is um what I really took away from it um, was two things. One, the cars are much bigger than the TV gives off. Yeah. And then two, the speed that they have around these corners does not translate 100% over TV. So if you're watching it, you can see how fast they're going. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going 175, 200 miles an hour. Cool. Right. <laughs> uh, but when you see those cars in person go around those corners... It is insane. Yeah. The, the, the braking power that they just, the way they're able to wait until the last possible second and then slam on the brake for as little time as possible, turn in, turn the car in and then floor it out of the, out yeah. of the corner. They go through those corners so fast and i think watching it on tv or if you play the video game it does it just it it does it it gives you some sense of speed but it doesn't do it justice unless you're seeing it in person and when you say video game are you talking about forza uh no i was just talking about the formula one video game there's a form i didn't know that we can play after this okay <laughs> only if you want to lose uh, just kidding, i'll probably get smoked um no i just think the sense of speed is something that you have to see in person to really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and then it's just really cool too, to see how much of a, almost like a travel. I know one of my favorite drivers says this all the time in his interviews when he gets asked this, um, it's kind of like a traveling circus 
Like there are so many people for each team there and each person has a very specific job yeah. and it's so well, it's like a well-oiled machine that just works. And the amount of, of materials and components and they, for each race, they tear the car apart, put it in a box and then ship it to where they're going next. That kind of blows my mind. I didn't, I never realized that. Like, yeah. They have to be so good at their jobs to be able to put that car back together. One, to f- perform as, as high as it does. But also, like, if something goes wrong in the middle of a race, like, mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a, kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. And so, like, it's a good point because, I mean, usually in the race, if something goes wrong where you need to work on the car, you're probably just going to retire from the race. The races right. go by so fast that... By the if time you get it fixed, it's, you're, it's you're out, over. you're done. Um, but if something goes wrong in qualifying or practice and you need to get the car ready for the next session or you're DQ'd, yeah. or not necessarily DQ'd, but you don't have a chance to participate in that and you start in last place, those mechanics, they work overnight to, to fix the car. Sometimes they fix them in just like record speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, I don't know the exact number, but... I know the Mercedes teams has like 1,200 impl- people on the team. That travel they, to each race? N- no. Okay. Only, a, I think about 100 in total travel to each race. That's still a lot. Maybe um, 100 is too much. 100 too much. But on a, on a race day, mm. there are over 1,000 people on the Mercedes, Mercedes team doing something. If you're at the racetrack, you may be a strategist, right. you may be a mechanic, you, you may be the, uh, I mean, there are dozens of mechanics per team, but then back on their factory, you have even more strategists. You have, uh, weather people like mm-hmm. meteorology. I don't know if they're full meteorologists, but they, there's so many aspects in play during the race that granted they're the biggest team. Um, but yeah, they have over a thousand people on their team, um, and it looks like if you're not aware of that from the outside looking in that, oh, okay, Lewis is just driving the car and he's an excellent driver, which he is, but there's a lot of people behind him right. and backing him up to make sure that the car and the strategy is as in as best of a position that it could be to win the race. Right, right. That's pretty nuts that that many people travel and that been, that many people have a job, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of like what you said, very, very specialized job. There's just a ton that goes into that, but this is a worldwide sport, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and a very large one. Even here in the U.S., a lot of people really like F1. Now, now, because of Drive to Survive. Then That's that the the Netflix, Netflix documentary. documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, cool. So, all in all, your favorite part of it was just the feel, or mm-hmm. seeing it live in person. So that's a hard one to just put down to one answer, I think, because mm. I got these tickets a while back, I think eight, nine months In advance. before the race. Yeah. So uh, there was always that excitement that I was going to go. Right. Um, and so when it finally came, I was like a kid in a candy store, mm-hmm. just super excited. Um, and then coupled with that was just being there live, seeing the speed, seeing the I guess another thing that's really cool is 
because when you watch it on TV, all you see is the F1 race, right? But there, when, when, uh, the Austin weekend, there was a formula four race race. There was a women's series race. Um, and then there are a couple other events in between. Like it is such a well-oiled machine where the, the, um, schedule that they give you is to a T. Yeah. So it's like, from one o'clock to one fifty-five, it's this race, and then about two o'clock, it's this. And I mean, it is very prompt. It is so precise as to when the next events are, mm-hmm. and it's just it's. I can't even imagine being on like the other side of the fence with all these different types of people running around trying to oh, do yeah. everything. It's like it's like a circus. Um, it was awesome. I uh, I know it can seem boring of just watching cars driving around in circles, but it's a bit more than that. Um, and if like you if ever there in person, yeah. right? I feel that way about baseball. Yeah. Right. If I'm going to watch baseball on TV, I'm extremely bored. Yeah. That's just me. Mm-hmm. No, no knock on anybody who likes that. My brother loves watching baseball on TV. I do not. I don't like watching sports on TV very often unless I'm very, very, very um, into that sport, which F1, baseball. It's not really my forte to watch. Like, I'll watch baseball. But if I'm there in person, yeah, it makes the... Like, I will go watch a minor league baseball in person more than I would rather watch a professional league mm-hmm. team on TV. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think what's cool is, I mean, next season, there are two races in the U.S. You have Austin again, mm-hmm. hopefully, because don't, I don't think they've signed the contract yet. But... um there's also going to be a race in Miami for the first time. That's cool. So I just think with the additional exposure mm-hmm. of, of F1 in the United States, I think it's just going to be continue to get better and better. Um, but yeah, if you ever have, if anybody ever has the chance to go see a race in person, it is insane and yeah. a really awesome experience. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, so that pretty much brings up, my next question, because I said it was a twofer. Yeah, I kind of forgot until just now. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if someone was going to an F1 race for their first time, mm-hmm. what in your mind is a must do or must have for that experience? Like, what would you say, hey, this is your first race. You got to go do this. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's kind of cool about at least how it was here in Austin. It was kind of like, I don't want to say a carnival, but there was a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Like there was a couple rides, kind of like, yeah, kind of activities. There was a, you could um, do like a, they had these really awesome like racing seats where you sit in it and drive like a video game, but you have like a real Formula One racing wheel and you're it's like you're sitting in the car driving it. That's cool. There was that. They had a pit stop challenge where you and a friend had a uh, a pit stop gun and you would undo the lug nut. The person would take it off. You put the other one on and, and there's like a challenge Dang. to do that. Um, it's There's a lot of stuff to do. However... If this is your very first time, I think you should prioritize sitting at a good position along the racetrack. Yeah. I think that, um, I think not necessarily make or break it, but um, you'll get a lot more excitement out of the race if you're sitting in a better part, at a better part of the track. Right. right? So here in Austin, Turn one is awesome because it's a fairly decent straight. 
Um, and then it goes up to almost a hairpin turn. It's pretty dang tight. tight. It's a yeah. very, it's almost a U-turn. Mm-hmm. But what makes it really unique is that the incline is so steep to where the, ra- the, the race car drivers use gravity to their advantage, right? So they can brake a whole lot later because gravity's working with them at that point. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of action at turn one. Um, there's some S's in the Austin track that are really cool to see just because it's so high speed and the change of direction in the car is really cool. So sitting along there would be awesome. Um, I said pick your spot, uh, like uh, be very specific on where you choose. But if you think about the Austin racetrack, there's not that many bad spaces right. and bad spots to, to sit. Um, and then after the S's, you come downhill to a big hairpin that opens up into the longest straight of the racetrack. And that's where I sat the first time. And that was really cool because you see them come over this hill. They're coming down really, really fast. And then they're trying to make that corner as efficient as possible because they have a very long straight ahead. Um, I don't want to go through the entire racetrack, but I'm just going to say, uh, try to be, um, very particular about where you want to sit during the race. You want to sit somewhere where you're going to get some action, some action. And by action, you mean like a technical spot where you're going to see the driver yeah. go to work and do the hard things. Cause anybody can drive yeah. fast going straight. Well, yes, but also what's uh, yes and no. So the technical portion, like the S's that I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier, that's like I said, the, the drivers are working hard. They're hitting four or five G's every yeah. time they turn yeah. the wheel. Um, but to your point, everyone can drive fast in a straight line. At the end of the long straight, that is a great place to sit because right. that's where most of the overtaking happens. Mm-hmm. So you get two cars going up side by side with one another. Who has the biggest cojones to brake later to get right. ahead on the turn? Right. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think if you're going to your first race, try to prioritize sitting in a um, a good spot. A good spot. Solid. Uh, I like that answer. It's a good answer to have. Because I mean, there's there's a lot to do there. They have t- they put up TVs all around the racetrack, right. so you it's not like you only watch your section of the racetrack. Well, dang it, uh, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, who's winning? <laughs> um, Doesn't matter. I'm in yeah. this one spot. Yeah. No, they have TVs everywhere. You get to keep up with the racetrack, the whole race. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, just try to sit in a good spot. I think, and you'll get a lot out of it. Um, they're just so, they're V6 engines, but they're so loud, so fast. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going next year. It's already, it's already determined. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, cool, man. So, um, now that both our questions are out there in the open, Mm -hmm. in the sphere, so to speak, you made the sweet this time. I did. Um, I had a little bit of it delicious as always and i know what it is but would you please describe what you made for yeah. this lovely sweet so went very basic that today and this is something that we did in college a few times so good. just because it's it's cheap and it's easy and it's easy <laughs> and it's a recurring theme yeah our yeah it's cheap it's easy yeah <laughs> um it's a version of dump cake Mm-hmm. And so basically what it is, it's a chocolate cake with sweetened condensed milk and caramel p- poured all over it. 
and then whipped cream on top. Don't forget about the Heath bars. And then the crushed up Heath bars as the garnish. That <laughs> honestly, that's one of my favorite parts about the dump cake. The Heath, the Heath, the Heath bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I get a little bit of that texture. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. So, yeah, it's so easy. You just bake it to to the box instructions, and then uh, when it's cooled, pun- poke a bunch of holes in the cake. Is it one cake? Yeah. box or is it two cake boxes just one just one cake box and what are you poking the holes with i just you've made this i've made it yeah maybe once i mean it, it doesn't have to be specific what you poke the holes with. i just did the back of a butter knife oh, just works. whatever because yeah. it's different right it's not like it's not whenever it's sitting in the condensed milk and the caramel sauce like it's soaking up all that where you can't really cut it like a real cake right that's why we ate it in a bowl you just kind of scoop it out and it's just like this dump of stuff deliciousness yeah it is yeah um so yeah all i did was poke holes with the back of a butter knife and then poured a sweetened condensed milk over it put in uh, and then the same with caramel put it in the fridge to let it cool and then um spread a spread a whipped cream over it and uh, then the heath bar now, do you set it in the fridge or do you just leave it out? I I put it in the fridge. Dope. Love it. Very easy, straightforward. I feel like and it's, it's a really good summertime oh, yeah. cake because it's, it's cold. cold. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. It's one of my favorite things. Like I remember the first time you, you made that in college. And I remember eating it. I remember seeing it and I was like, that looks disgusting. And then I ate it and I was like, <laughs> please. Don't ever stop baking this. What looked bad about it? Just a bunch of whipped cream on top with heat bar. <laughs> I just like the the sweetened condensed milk. Just watching that. First off, I'd never had that before college. Sweetened condensed milk. If I had, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But like, I just saw it and I was like, it just looks like slop. I don't. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. But then I ate it, and of course, I have a bigger sweet tooth out of the both of us. At least I think I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I freaking love it. It's so good. I like it when it's cold. Like, like the little crushed up Heath bar. Just well done. Thank like you. It. Thank you. I like it. Other than that, man, any uh, any pointers before we send this out? No. Uh, I, I really enjoyed your question. Same. Got yeah. me talking about something I'm really excited about. Yeah, um, you might like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I didn't give you enough time to talk or ask any follow-up questions. Oh, I, but Yeah, no, you're fine. I thought it was good. Um, I really enjoyed your question. I could talk about that subject all day, and there's just so many different facets that go with it. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, if you guys are wanting to do meats or sweets or anything like that, we try and give you the recipe. If we missed out on the recipe, it'll be on our Instagram page, Meats and Sweets 01, or 01, I guess is the better way of saying that. Uh, if you like this episode, share it. Pass it along to your friends. If you need someone, or if you know someone who needs help smoking some meat, just be like, hey, David's dumb, he did Look this. Look at these two jack knobs <laughs> over here. <laughs> Look at these two jack wagons. They started this podcast, they don't know what they're doing. Fair assumption, doesn't matter, it's still delicious. Y'all have a good week. Take it easy. Go cook something outside. Go cook something outside.